When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's not a right way to pray other than an honest way. And so I think that if you are bringing your whole self to prayer, to conversation with God, there's room then for your whole experience of being human. And I think that that's where you can end up with, you know, prayers for when you don't know what you want and when you are tired and angry or when you feel like you're a little bit lost or when you are trying to embody prayer. Um, You know, I think that there's a lot more permission that God has given us that we don't fully walk in yet when it comes to prayer. And a lot of times that's simply because very well-meaning, very sincere people found a path of prayer that worked for them. And, you know, oftentimes we try to universalize that, and that can certainly be helpful in terms of beginning training wheels, you know, around prayer or around conversation. But there's a, a whole lot more wide open space than I think we were oftentimes invited into. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson. Welcome back. We have another returning all-star guest this week. Uh, Very excited uh, to have her back on the show. Adam and I still to this day talk about how she was, uh, she is, I should say, one of our favorite interviews that uh, we've ever done. Just a beautiful, kind, uh, loving human being, and uh, we need more people like her out there. And just a beautiful writer as well. So Sarah Bessie, back on this week's show. Uh, very excited. She has not been on, I don't think, I was trying to look back, I don't believe she's been on the podcast since our first inaugural season uh, back in like 2016, 2017. Uh, so if you've not heard of her before, uh, totally check out the the first episode. You know, if you if you like what you hear on this one, and you want to get some more content. We we do have another episode with her way back when. Um, and of course, uh, if you go to our website, www. Uh, com. Uh, you can go back through. We have um, all of our back catalog of episodes available there. They should also be available on your uh, podcast provider or, uh, as well, whether it's iTunes or, um, well, I guess it's Apple Podcasts now, um, or Spotify or, or whatever you listen through, um, should have access to all of our back catalog as well. So you can you can find it there. Uh, also through our website, you can find um, our social media, link to us there. You can find our blog. Uh, if you want to support us uh, financially and you have the means and you want to help, help us out, uh, we have a Patreon and, uh, of course, our ever popular uh, package there is the month uh, book of the month club rather where we ship you a book every month uh, based on either uh, something that uh, we're reading that we think is is potentially helpful or interesting or potentially one of the guests that we've had on and uh, we ship that right to you so uh, so check that out if you want to uh, one of the easiest ways and, and free ways to support us uh, of course is to um, you know tell a friend you know share the podcast with with other people uh, if you think it's uh, useful and helpful. Uh, and of course, uh, five-star reviews on iTunes in some weird way, uh, somewhere in the algorithm, uh, that, that iTunes keeps, uh, very, very secret. Um, that helps us get exposure, uh, you know, to other people. So, uh, so if you want to support us, uh, in, in the simplest way possible, go leave us a nice five-star review, uh, on there. And if you think we suck, just send me an email, you know, just, just send me an email. Uh, I don't mind. Um, other than that, uh, did I talk about the band? I don't think I did. The Wind and the Wave is the artist this week. Uh, great music. If you if you like what you hear, as always, uh, we highly, highly, highly encourage you to, uh, to to go to their website, go support them as an artist. 
Obviously, right now, uh, with the pandemic still kind of uh, altering the way that we live life, it's really difficult or has been very difficult for artists who, um, you know, make a a living and an income off of um, seeing people in person. So, uh, obviously, bands can't tour right now. Comedians can't go out and do shows. uh, Or if they they do, it's, uh, you know, it's very altered and... uh, um, not the same, you know, not the same. So they can't quite make the same kind of living that they could before. So uh, a lot of them have um, things set up to where you can help uh, support them financially, if, again, if you have the means. So, um, but uh, go check them out. Great band. Uh, as always, if you happen to be a subscriber to Spotify, uh, I have a Spotify playlist and I update it uh, based on the band or artists that we use on each episode. So every time a new episode comes out, I update that playlist. And so if you follow us, follow that playlist on Spotify, you can go back and listen to every single artist and band that we've ever used uh, on the podcast. So um, that's a fun thing as well. Um, What else? I think that's pretty much everything, guys. So thank you so much, as always, for listening. If you're new here, like I said, thank you for for stopping in. Uh, Hopefully you like what you hear. Uh, And if you have been listening to to us forever, um, thanks for sticking around. Uh, We really appreciate it. Got lots more in store for 2021. Uh, Next episode uh, will be a new guest who we've never had on before. So we'll we'll get into some new content, cover some new topics we've never covered before. Um, So I'm super excited to to get those out to you. So uh, love and grace. Uh, Hopefully everybody's doing okay out there and hanging in there. And without further ado, Sarah freaking Bessie. All right. I'm very excited this week to bring back a guest who was one of uh, one of our first in the very first season, I believe, uh, going back to 2016. So uh, very excited to have you back. Thank you so much for taking some time uh, to spend with us tonight. Uh, welcome back, Sarah Bessie. I'm so glad to be here. It's good to chat with you again, John. Oh, man. Uh, so I don't know why. I, it, again, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and how, how weird uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit seems to work. Um, it, I, for whatever reason, this is completely unintentional, but I have like this, this string of these wonderful Canadian uh, people uh, who have been on the podcast recently, uh, So, and now yourself included. So, <laughs> Oh, great. <Yes. laughs> brief, uh, brief, brief moment with, uh, with the Canadians then on your end of things, so that's good. <laughs> I, I've been hesitating. I feel, like I, I feel like it's safe enough to ask you this question, but I feel like there, there's been, you know, that, that age-old joke about, you know, America being the really cool party downstairs and the boring Canadians living upstairs, you know, but it kind of feels now like it's probably like the responsible adults living upstairs above the dumpster fire. Is that, is that kind of <laughs> a little bit like being above a meth lab? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, maybe that's why I'm looking for safety. I think, um, subconsciously, <laughs> um, well, <I> know. <laughs> well, welcome back. Um, you've got a new book and, um, I, I think it's really cool. It's, uh, it's not just you, uh, who's, who's written, uh, you know, contributed to it, but it's uh, a collection of writings. Uh, it's called A Rhythm of Prayer, A Collection of Meditations for Renewal. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. And I mean, you've got some incredible people who contributed. You've got Caitlin Curtis, Barbara Brown Taylor, Shaniqua uh, Walker-Barnes, and a bunch of others. Um, what, uh, I guess, what inspired you to put together a book uh, specifically on the topic of, of prayer and meditation? Um, you know, I think that there were a number of things. I, you know, I think that the idea of prayer has been a big part of my life and my own journey um, in terms of, you know, losing the way that I used to pray. And like a lot of people who I think have, you know, experienced deconstruction and some sort of evolution in their uh, spiritual lives, you often lose old pathways um, or old rituals or things that, you know, maybe were how you first were introduced to prayer, for instance. And I think a lot of times we think then that that means that we've lost prayer. And instead, I think that reimagining prayer, expanding 
even what that meant for me was really life-saving in my own life. And so I've always prayed, you know, when I would speak at places or when I would um, minister at churches or um, even at the end of all my books, I'd always have a big, you know, benediction. And I think that that led some people to be asking, you know, what does it mean to pray? And how do you even pray? And what does it mean to pray when you find yourself as part of the company of those of us who have unanswered prayers. And so that was kind of already in the back of my mind and those questions and some of those conversations and wanting to explore that a bit. And then um, in May of 2019, we lost one of my dear friends, Rachel Held Evans, who was not only my friend, but also um, led um, co-led Evolving Faith with me. And I just felt like I needed work to save my life. <laughs> I just mm. needed to put my hand to something. And the idea of exploring prayer on my own felt very daunting um, because I think of that whole experience and losing her and still being very much in that first season of grief. And so, in a lot of ways, that's where the idea of a prayer circle kind of came to me, was saying, I have rested in the prayers of women in my life. I have borrowed hope from them. I have felt... Um, supported and loved and sheltered and challenged, <laughs> even angered, you know, sometimes by prayers. And so, the idea of pulling in a prayer circle of women whose work and ministry and life and words and activism has deeply shaped me um, or impacted me in some way then meant that I not only was able to explore those ideas I wanted to in terms of prayer, but I was able to do that in community. Um, with these incredible leaders. And I think in a lot of ways, like the thing that I knew right from the get-go that I didn't want with this book was to just simply give people, you know, like, here's a bunch of prayers, go ahead and copy paste your name in there, you know, like a nice new tidy set of prayers. Like I wanted, like the intimacy that is in all of these pages is deeply personal. And, and I think that in a lot of ways, it's more about giving people, you know, uh, a peek into the prayer lives of other people and giving you permission, showing the range of prayer, because we have everything from, you know, liturgy to essays to imprecatory prayers to, you know, worship and poetry. And um, and so, I think even that breadth, that, you know, that full rhythm that we were kind of trying to, you know, almost be led into ended up manifesting just even in the pages. And so, it was really quite quite spectacular to do. And so, I think in a lot of ways, it is my hope that this book offers people even just a small amount of the amount of healing and comfort and challenge and permission and care that these pages gave me, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know at the the very beginning of the book, you talk about, and, and you Reference it uh, just a moment ago. Uh, growing up and being involved in, in prayer circles, and that you notice that everybody prays a little bit differently, and um, and there are different ways that people approach prayer. So, talk a little bit more about uh, about that. Like, what are some of the different ways? Because they're definitely very much expressed throughout this book as well. Yeah, I think that that's um, that's part of the magic of it. I think to me because the way that I pray, um, oftentimes it's very not like how other people pray, and that's you know kind of something I even quip sometimes when I'm, you know, it, at a, a conference or a church and you know the before times <laughs> right. when you would almost have to like warn people, right? Because again, I come from a more Pentecostal-ish adjacent charismatic kind of tradition, which is, you know, definitely has roots in the name it, claim it, declarative kind of praying. <laughs> and I, I definitely am still there a lot of times. <laughs> and so, I think maybe even that warning out, out the gate of just saying, like, uh, there's so many different ways to pray. And yet, oftentimes, there's a rest in being able to rest in someone else's way of praying or communicating with God um, or being in conversation with God. And being able to eavesdrop on that not only, I think, enriches that, because then you have things like, you know, 
I don't know, the, you know, prayers that are actually, you know, kind of written out and then room for uh, poetry and for centering prayer and breath prayer and um, liturgy and, and all these different things. And it's like just amazing to me how that core thing there is still there in terms of that love and conversation and openness and community that exists within prayer that's carved out by that. So yeah, it's it's pretty pretty remarkable how diverse and unique and individual and yet communal it can be all at the same time. Yeah. And so so is there a right way or a wrong way to 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 do it really? Like I, I think that's I think that's what a lot of people ask, right? You know, a lot of people uh you know, this is a topic, you know, like I said, that's, that's come up a lot, you know, um, in doing the podcast, a lot of people have asked, talked, you know, asked us to do an episode on prayer and we just never got around to it. But, you know, they, a lot of times the, the, uh, prevalent questions seem to be, um, I just have a really complex relationship with prayer. Like, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. And I know for, uh, you know, myself included, I, I, I have to, um, really, work hard to not turn it into more of an Amazon wish list, you know, <laughs> like, please God, give me this, this, and that, you know, and, and try to include some things that I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for. And, um, and that sort of thing. But is there, is there a wrong way to do it or is, or is there a right way to do it for that matter? You know, I think that, you know, I think that's a really good question because I think a lot of times, especially for people who maybe came of age in particular church or faith traditions, you're always taught that there is a right way to do things. Usually there are acronyms involved. Here's here's the checklist, right, to how to do it right. Um, And so, I mean, the... The, the first answer, I guess, that, that springs to my mind is, you know, the, the way we were taught to pray by Jesus exists in Scripture, and yet that's not ever a formula to follow. Um, I think that that's one of the things that I find incredibly reassuring and infuriating about Jesus is how there's never seven steps or <laughs> formulas <laughs> to turn the key in the lock, right? So, even having the, you know, the Lord's Prayer there is not necessarily just you know, a small, narrow box of conversation. Because again, in the life of Jesus, you see over and over again, so many different ways that that conversation was already, is already always happening. I think too, that the Bible is often way more honest about prayer than we are willing to be. And we see in the stories of conversations with God, you can see arguing, you can see rage, uh, grief, adoration, thanksgiving, and, you know, pleas for help, um, longings. And so, I think that when I look at the conversations that people in Scripture are having with God and the conversations that people I know walk with God are having, there is such breadth of honesty there. And I th- so, in, in answer to, I guess, to the question, which is a long way maybe to get to it, there's not a right way to pray other than an honest way. And so, I think that if you are bringing your whole self to prayer, to conversation with God, there's room then for your whole experience of being human. And I think that that's where you can end up with, you know, prayers for when you don't know what you want and when you are tired and angry or when you feel like you're a little bit lost or when you are trying to embody prayer. Um, You know, I think that there's a lot more permission that God has given us that we don't fully walk in yet when it comes to prayer. And a lot of times that's simply because very well-meaning, very sincere people found a path of prayer that worked for them. And, you know, oftentimes we try to universalize that, and that can certainly be helpful in terms of beginning training wheels, you know, around prayer or around conversation. But there's a, a whole lot more wide open space than I think we were oftentimes invited into. Yeah, you you bring up a you bring up a great point, um, and, and this is something that we've talked about before. We did it. We actually did an episode. I think it was the end of last year, maybe or the year before, on uh, lament and this strange notion that we've kind of uh, walked ourselves into, where we feel like we can't be truly honest and raw and uh, you know and angry uh, or frustrated with God, as if God can't handle it for some reason, you know. <laughs> and and yet we have we have clear examples in the Bible. I mean, we have Lamentations, we have the the Book of Job, um, we have all these examples where people are crying out in their absolute 
devastation and frustration uh, to God. Um, I feel like that preaches extremely well now, uh, at least within the last year, um, which may be why this book is so timely. I think I, I, there's many reasons to uh, to get get down on your knees and pray um, and have a conversation with God in that way. And, and oftentimes probably out of frustration between, you know, COVID and uh, the racial tensions, um, you know, at least in North America and, um, you know, uh, the school shootings and, you know, you name it. Uh, it's been a heck of a last year. So uh, talk, talk about that a little bit. I would love to get your, your perspective on, you know, this, this weird thing where we feel like we can't really bring all the ugly uh, to prayer. You know, I think that that's a really necessary conversation that you had around lament because that that's the, the I, that's one of the reasons why I think oftentimes people struggle with language around hope or joy is because it feels empty without acknowledging the grief or the anger or rage even um, that you also hold concurrently, and so you know I think a lot of times the invitation then in terms of lament or in terms of honesty, um, is that it's actually the path of healing. And I think that that's, that's something that oftentimes we're not really told in a very, I don't know what Kate Bowler always calls it, um, toxic positivity, mm, yes. <laughs> which is a great, great phrase, right? <laughs> and so, and I think that that's a uniquely North American, you know, sort of thing. It's like, well, if you're not, you know, being super nice and, and, and being positive and optimistic or all the time, then somehow that's, that's not, you know, the, the truest thing. And so, you know, I think that you don't really get to hope and joy and love and justice without traveling through the country of grief, without crossing that threshold of honesty and lament. And so that's, I think the invitation maybe that lies before us in those moments is to begin to be honest about that. I think too, sometimes we draw too many um, boundaries around prayer or we try to set it aside as like, I mean, and for sure it's good to set aside, you know, time that's intentional for prayer. Like I'm not going to knock that by any stretch of the imagination, but that low undercurrent of prayer that is a constant is the thing that I think sustains us um, when we are in the midst of an apocalypse. And so that's, I think, the thing that I find really interesting right now is a lot of times people will say, how can you, what is the point of prayer? Or what, why bother right now when everything feels like it's just burning down around us? And the thing that I've learned most is to pay attention to who keeps praying in the middle of an apocalypse. And it's almost always faith leaders and who deeply, deeply are connected to God and yet deeply rooted in the work, deeply rooted in, you know, uh, work of equality, work of justice seeking, um, that there is a rich inner spiritual life to people like, you know, Bishop Michael Curry or um, John Lewis or all of these, uh, you know, prayer circles of Korean grandmothers that were in the basement of a church in my childhood. Like, I just would, you would love to sit in, in those moments and say, who are the people who are still praying? What is it? What is it then? The invitation doesn't mean that prayer is a step out of the work as much as it is a sustainer in the midst of the work and a refocus in terms of hope and goodness. But you are still feet on the ground, right? The road you take And who you choose to walk it with And the grass ain't always greener On the other side It's okay But I wish it was easy like <clears throat> There's a quote that you have in this book uh, Sticking to the same uh, Kind of topic here um, There's a quote that you have in the book That that just it, it really hit home for me, especially particularly in light of uh, the last year. Um, it, you say there is room for your whole self in prayer. You can bring your whole body to the to this altar, this place where you meet with God with words or with wordless knowing. You don't need to pretend you aren't angry, that you aren't cynical or afraid, that you aren't feeling a bit hopeless or uncomfortable or envious or tired. My God, that was like like uh just this permission that i think i needed when i was reading mm -hmm. it 
Um, and that really, that really hits hard. I think, um, it, it, cause one of the, one of the other pieces too, that you mentioned is that, you know, it's, it's okay to even sit still in prayer and be silent. And so many people feel like they have to, like, I've been to so many different churches where, you know, especially when you're uh, praying in groups where there's always this, this, uh, need to say something, you know, come up with some mm-hmm. words, some, some beautiful words, you know, sometimes it's okay just to sit in silence, right? Mm-hmm. That's so true. I, I think that that's sometimes some of the most rich conversations <laughs> with God that I've had have been in those moments. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there's a million points in my life where I remember having my conversations with God disrupted or my notion of how this should go, right? The, you know, boundaries and boxes where we like to keep God sometimes. And one that I, I think I might have told this story in my last book, In Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, but I'm not 100%. Yes, I think I did. But when my son was really, really little, um, he was in a, a course at um, with a uh, teacher, and she had them draw pictures, all the little kids, they had, she had them draw pictures of what they thought prayer was. And she called me into her office after that, which, I mean, that can go one of two ways, <laughs> as most parents know. <laughs> and I remember going in and her kind of explaining the assignment and saying, well, I have all these kids, you know, kind of draw these uh, pictures of prayer. And, you know, most of them were on the wall. And it was the typical stuff of like, you know, at the supper table when you're saying grace and somebody at church praying um, at the end of the service or their mom and dad praying with them at their bed at night. And she said, I wanted to show you Joseph's um, picture that he drew. And she turned it around and she showed it to me. And he had drawn himself sitting on the back deck at our house. And beside him, he had drawn Jesus. And you know it's Jesus because there's a you know, white cloak and a blue sash, <laughs> just <laughs> right. like every children's Bible ever. I mean, I was just thankful that he didn't draw Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes, so we'll call it a minute. <laughs> right, European Jesus. But he had, exactly. So he had drawn himself and Jesus sitting side by side, looking out at the trees and the sun was shining in the corner. And he had drawn those little cartoon bubbles, like, you know, when people are talking to each other in a, in a cartoon book. Yeah. And it said, it was just Jesus saying, I love you, Joseph. And him saying, I love you, Jesus. Mm. And then Jesus, and then he drew these arrows showing that they were saying it back and forth to each other. There was this moment, I think, of seeing, and again, I, I you know, I have Joseph's permission to share that story. I don't usually tell stories about the kids, and especially now that they're older, uh, without their permission. But there was something in the simplicity of that that just reset prayer for me in a time when I really needed to be reminded of the actual conversation that is often happening underneath all of the words and underneath all of the longings and in the stillness. I think that going back to your original question about the silence, um, I think that that's the conversation that maybe we're tapping into in that silence is sitting with Jesus, sitting with God, sitting with this moment and just hearing, I love you and being able to say back, I love you. Yeah, sometimes I think of, um, I've heard prayer described as just a, a conversation between you and God, between you and the divine. And, you know, when you think of a conversation, it's it's two ways, you know, and sometimes I feel like we don't do a good enough job of of um, sitting in that silence and, and listening for God's side of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, again, I, you know, given my faith background, I'm like all the way here for, you know, hearing the voice of God, (laughs) you know, having some sense of conversation and revelation and and peace. I think that, um, I think God is incredibly generous with us and we're just often surprised by the language in which we're communicating. So, uh, I I definitely want you to talk a little bit about, um, the way that you've kind of structured the book, because we kind of alluded to it earlier. It's a collection of, of, um, of prayers that come in many different forms. And so, you know, one of the prayers in the book is, is a poem and I'm probably going to screw up this name. So feel free to correct me. Um, Amina, Mm -hmm. Amina Brown. Okay. Uh, by Amina Amina Brown. Brown. Um, there's a, this beautiful Psalm by Reverend Gail song Bantam. Um, there's a personal story in there, uh, by Reverend, uh, Winnie Varghese. Varghese. 
Varghese, okay. Um, and then there's a meditation uh, like prayer by uh, Reverend Emily Swan, and those are just that's just a, a small portion of of what's contained within the book. Was there an intentional way in which you kind of uh, organize the flow of this book? Is there a, is there some sort of a intention behind that? There was definitely some a lot of intention in um, in how we structured it. The, you know, the really interesting thing for me is that I gave all of these collaborators very little direction, and that was very purposeful. Um, I think that just as you know, I talked earlier about the boundaries sometimes that we put around prayer. I was really interested just to kind of throw the prompt out and the invitation out. Um, and just see what came back. And I was amazed at the thread that seemed to emerge in almost every single one of them and how one would lead to the next and one would lead to the next. And the pace of it really seemed to reveal itself as each one of these came in. And I found myself really resting in a lot of the prayers um, as they come in. I've returned to them over and over and over again. And so we kind of loosely, like I felt like I knew the flow that I wanted for the book. And then we separated it into, um, you know, three different sections of, you know, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. But I wanted to be really careful not to lean so heavily on those words that it, it took out the space from them. So I don't want to name what you're necessarily oriented and disoriented and reoriented towards as you pace through or go through. Because again, you can read the book in order or you can dip in and out of it, right? You can kind of move around in the book as you really need to or would like to. Returning to the you know prayers maybe that minister or speak to you most in one particular season of your life and then come back around again. And so I wanted to make a little, I have a thread going through it, but I wanted there to be a lot of room for people to be able to find themselves where they needed to be too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Yeah, and, and you, I, I, what I think is really neat about the book is you, you uh, at least for me, and probably for a lot of people, there's, there's some introductions to some different styles of prayer um, that maybe, you know, I wasn't familiar with and maybe others might not be uh, familiar with as well. And one of the examples is later on in the book, you have an entry called a prayer to breath or breathe. And, uh, mm. and, and you discuss this ancient form of prayer called breath prayer. Um, explain what that is. Cause I thought that was really cool. Yeah. You know, breath prayer is something that I came to late in my adulthood as something that it was almost like a form of meditation and it's very simple. And you can, and the thing too is that I, that I really, really like about it is that you, ha, you can have a lot of room in there, um, you know, for how you want to pray. So the idea basically just being that you can settle down and pick a couple of lines or choose a few lines um, either from scripture there's definitely ones that are more traditional or ancient ones, you know, like the, you know, uh, the, the Jesus prayer, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of different ones from different faith traditions. And 
a lot of people practice them, but the idea being you inhale with one line of, of prayer or of the scripture and you exhale with the other. And so that was something that became really important to me, I think, especially in moments of stress or um, anxiousness, um, to be able to slow down even the constant chatter in your brain sometimes and find something in scripture that I needed to remind myself to and just breathe in and out through those words for five minutes, a couple minutes, just to be able to say, you know, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And you just are breathing in with one line and breathing out with the other and just holding yourself in some stillness, you know, be still and know that I'm God. Um, you're a refuge in our strength. Um, I find rest in your shelter. You know, peace of Christ, guard my heart and my mind. So you find something, and you can even write something for yourself to be able to start with 10 good breaths kind of in and out and then let them settle into your soul and quiet everything around you for a, for a little while. I found I was doing it like crazy during the pandemic. I have. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's been really helpful <laughs> during those moments. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, and, and we were talking a little bit, I think, uh, about um, uh, the pandemic in relation to prayer before we started recording. And I think I mentioned that uh, we had had a guest on, Dr. Bruce Epperly, I believe it was, who talked about um, different spiritual traditions or practices that he, he had started taking up during the pandemic, just from a um, uh, purely like a mental aspect in in terms of uh, you know trying to just get through the pandemic and the and the isolation and and all the changes the disruptions to life that it has caused and so uh, I'd be interested to see you know you, you just mentioned that um, it was very helpful but um, how, how did prayer take on a different form did it take on a different form during the pandemic and and how 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 did it if it did you know I think that you know I have found prayer to be a real um, constant in refuge um, during the pandemic because it's expanded so much for me. I remember one time a pastor saying that the same part of you that worries is the part of you that prays. And since I can worry constantly, I'm pretty sure I could pray constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and since there's been a lot of worry, you know, there's mm. that that hum of prayer, I think, that kind of can exist almost below, below the surface. But I think that that's where some of the, um, one of the contributors, Kelly, uh, Kelly Nikondeha, wrote a piece called um, Embodied Prayer, if I remember correctly. And the idea being that you can also embody your prayers, right? That you can embody your, your greatest hopes, your greatest longings um, by what you're doing. And so I think for, you know, people who are more essential workers or, you know, who have found themselves uh, homeschooling or have, you know, been very isolated and lonely, um, this is the, I think, the, the weaving of prayer into every moment of your life and every breath of your life then can mean that it both makes space and is a companion um, when you're walking through those uh, those moments with God. So, for sure, I think the pandemic did manage to reorient me to, to that. Um, I think it also made silence and breath prayer and embodied prayer more important to me, so that it was less about, um, you know, like the here's a list of the things I want kind of stuff, <laughs> but yeah, more yeah. of a, you know, uh, um, an abiding maybe is the word I'm looking for, a sense of abiding in prayer um, that was sustaining and life-giving and reorienting to keep me grounded right where we were in the smallness of our lives, especially in those early days of the pandemic when a lot of us were in lockdowns and quarantines, um, to just understand, you know, like Barbara Brown Taylor put in hers about that you're approaching the mountain, right? That you're so close now that you come to me as breath, she wrote. And that has stayed with me during the pandemic, right? This, we're so close, you come to me as breath. And there's yeah. just not even this sense of like, I don't know, it's a mountain that's familiar you can see with your eyes closed, she said. Mm. She's so good. <laughs> Gosh, right? <laughs> uh. 
<laughs> we we were lucky enough to have her on last year, and it was just like, uh, there are just some people, yourself included, who uh, we just need more of you in, in the world, I think. <laughs> you know? Barbara Brown Taylor is definitely one of them. My goodness. Yes. I could just sit at her feet. She could honestly discuss paper versus plastic, and I'd be enthralled and transformed. Yes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, your takeaway is similar to, to mine in the sense that I remember talking with my therapist um, kind of towards the beginning of the pandemic and just uh, just being very um, anxious and frustrated about uh, you know the the idea that people in my inner circle uh, weren't taking you know the same approach the same cautious approach I, I would say as I was you know and um, and, and he kept saying look. Your anxiety, your anxiety stems from the fact that that you don't have control over something that you really don't have control over anyway, you know, and, and that's the stuff you have to give to God. Ouch! <laughs> and I was like, ah, yeah, you know, it, it yeah, it, it hurts to hear, you know. You're like, but I want control over it, but you know, oh, good. He's like, but you can't, you know. It's that's that's God's part, you know, and, and you have to let God handle it and trust that God will mm-hmm. handle it, you know, and. And so I think from then on, my, my, the way I approached prayer personally, um, definitely changed, you know, as, a, as opposed, mm-hmm. like you said, as opposed to just saying, well, please give me this, you know, like almost like mailing a letter to Santa Claus. It was more, you know, conversational and, and me just learning to shut up sometimes, <laughs> you know, and listen. Yeah. <clears throat> oh. No, that's very true. I think that that's one of the things that. Um, is even my hope for people to, that we would become more open to all the weird ways that God wants to speak, right? And, you know, not only in us and through us, but through these moments. And I think that's where the, your idea of, you know, what's it for? And, you know, is it about controlling outcomes, which is definitely how I was introduced to prayer. I mean, you know, coming from more of a, you know, prosperity gospel kind of word of faith, you know, world, it was all about controlling outcomes, and being an overcomer. And so the idea of being able to say that you can pray fully human, um, fully connected to God, fully loved within that, um, I don't know, I think it's healing. It's being healing for me anyway. Yeah. You have the, I mean, in, in regards to, to what you just said, you have this uh, amazing quote um, from uh, the book Anne of Green Gables, which, by the way, uh, grew up on the, the, <laughs> the movies. I think they were probably made in like the 70s or something, but I love them. Um, but you, you have this great quote uh, from that book that really drives home the point that there's no hard and fast rule in terms of how to pray. And I just thought mm-hmm. that was such a, so I don't know how you came up with how you pulled that particular quote out, but it was, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can pull it out because I, well, I mean, I'm just definitely a huge fan of, of the book and of Ella Montgomery as a writer, but I remember being really formed by that as a young person of just seeing that the world and that creation can be just as much of a cathedral as any other place. And in fact, can often be the place where you most want to pray more than sitting, you know, in, in some other places. Or, And I think that permission, um, you know, to go for that walk, um, to sit outside under the sky and simply know God, um, yeah, I think that there's something really beautiful and restorative and healing. It's almost easier to be to find silent prayer outside, I find. Mm. Silent prayer inside, I tend to be a little bit more like, oh, I should be going and doing this or, you know, distracted <laughs> and this and that. But whereas I think you can kind of hit a rhythm when you're, you know, out for a walk or maybe even a drive or um, just even sitting on a bench or on the edge of a lake or sitting in, sitting and staring into a bonfire. Um you can can come and have those moments of stillness and prayer, even though maybe that's not a place where you expected to find it. Um, there was a line in something I think Amina's poem you mentioned earlier about experiencing what's holy in the places that people don't usually deem to be sacred. Mm. And I think that that's, that's part of that invitation. You know, maybe other people wouldn't see this place or this moment um, as holy, And yet it's sacred because you see it there. So you think you know the truth. 
Yeah, I think it seems to go back to this idea that we we as human beings tend to place restrictions on what God can and cannot do and where God can and cannot show up. And um, I, I think uh, I think it's interesting, uh, in, going back to that quote too by Anne of Green Gables, it kind of makes me think of kind of the, the youthful innocence um, and just how sometimes kids just get it on a level that maybe we don't, <laughs> you know, anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they, they, they don't see restrictions, you know, as, as much as right. perhaps we do. Um, but yeah, it, you're so right. Just in terms of, uh, um, it, it can be in nature. I remember, um, Diana Butler Bass talking about going for walks down by a, a stream, um, and, and finding God, you know, in nature and how mm-hmm. that was the way that she connected. Yeah, I think that that's part of even why maybe Jesus told us or or called us to have faith like a child, that it wasn't about silencing our questions or our wonder or curiosity, because I mean, I don't know if you've been around a kid for even longer than a half second, but they ask a lot of questions. Yes, they do. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old so, at home, so yes. <laughs> right, exactly. We have four between, and I mean, it just, the amount of questions I have been asked in my lifetime would, I, I would thought I would perish of it. <laughs> and yet, I there's something invitational and good in that now that I can see because I see that invitation from God in terms of faith like a child isn't about silencing or um, necessarily even holding up, you know, some other other image as much as it is there's wonder and there's curiosity to that. And I think that even bringing that sense of wonder and curiosity and energy to prayer is something that I want to reclaim. And I think that that's part of maybe even what the work is, is reclaiming things, reimagining things, and being surprised by God in some of those places. But yeah, that faith like a child one, I think it gives you a lot of room then to play in prayer. Yeah. And that's not a word that I think a lot of people associate with prayer. They see it as oftentimes very, you know, static or very slow, boring, um, obligatory. And the idea of prayer as play, prayer as conversation, um, as an outlet for questions and wonder and conversation and, you know, all those things, I, I see a lot of that reflected in, in some of those things that you were saying. Yeah, and isn't that just a microcosm of just how we approach um, religion in general, at least in North America? I can't speak on behalf of the whole world, but... You know, the way that we approach <laughs> Christianity here just seems to be very, very, uh, at, at times rigid. And, um, and again, it goes back to, I feel like, uh, human beings placing our own barriers on, on how we, um, interact with the divine. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And I think that that's part of, uh, that's good and healthy work. I mean, everybody has to start from somewhere that's developmentally completely <laughs> in line with how it goes. Um, I wonder sometimes what it would look like to bless the box we used to use for God Mm. in order to understand even while we no longer need it or move or step out of it. Um, That's, that's something I find kind of an interesting conversation, even around prayer, especially if people have found it to be something that is almost weaponized against them Mm. or was a means of control. Um, You know, I don't know that you can always, bless that or reclaim that. Um, And so I think that that's where the possibilities of new spaces and wilderness, um, that wonder and curiosity, right, that we we spoke of, that gives you room then to play, room to run, even if it means. um, And when you can, when you're able, if you are ever, can you bless where you started and be grateful for it, even if it's not a place where you are anymore. Yeah, that's so good. And so, and so important, I think, for a lot of people who, uh, in particular, follow this podcast. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them went through, you know, what would be considered kind of traumatic uh, experiences with the church growing up. And, and I think that's a, a very useful thing to, to say and to hear um, mm-hmm. it, it is to say that, you know, it served its purpose in, in that period of time. Um, and even though I have evolved in many ways, um, I can still look back and say, Okay, it, you know that was my starting point, um, but it's not—it's yeah. not my ending point. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, absolutely. I think that that's part of the feast in the wilderness, maybe, 
um, you know, is learning how to forgive the people who gave you the first box you had for God, even to forgive yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> my dad. Uh, I don't know if I told you this the first time you're on the podcast. My dad is a uh, is a Lutheran pastor and has been for gosh, probably like 40 years now. <clears throat> and I remember I was in probably first grade and I definitely got kicked out of Sunday school because the Sunday school teacher uh, had figured out, she said, uh, through scripture, uh, the exact day and time when the world was going to come to an end. And I <laughs> debated her on this fact. I, 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 I'm, I don't think I called her an idiot, but it was something along those lines. She got the message, you know, and, and, uh, promptly kicked me out of <laughs> Sunday school class. And, uh, yeah. So even, you know, I think back at moments like that and I, you know, like it's, it's fine. It w- really wasn't a big deal in the, in the grand scheme of things, because guess what? We're still here. It's fine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm old enough to remember the uh, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. So, oh yeah, there's yeah. Not, no, no trauma there. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this instance, this incident probably happened right around 1987, oh, okay, 88. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big, big moment there. <laughs> maybe she, yeah. Maybe she was, maybe that's what she was uh, into at the time. I don't know, but <laughs> Um, one of the things I, w- I definitely want to bring up too is uh, I think you've got this great moment in, in the book um, where you even include a prayer for when you don't even know what you want. <laughs> I love that. Because <laughs> like I said, I, for me, I, you know, being born and raised in a Lutheran church, it's very, you know, I have this vision in my mind of what prayer looks like as a, as a good Lutheran boy. You know, there's a lot of kneeling involved, a lot of folded hands and you're, you're praying to yourself in, in your own head, God forbid anyone yells, hallelujah, you know, the old people would be very unhappy with you. So, um, very different from my evangelical experience later on where it's a very, it's very robust, you know, um, very expressive. It's, it's, a, almost a community communal experience. Um, you know, and, but so when I kind of was, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, joined the, that sort of circle and kind of uh, learned this new way of praying, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, like I said earlier, they kind of look to you like, okay, your turn, you know? And, <laughs> and so often I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't have anything right now. You know, you know, mm-hmm. today has been exceptionally good. I don't, I don't you know, so yeah, you, good. yeah. So you have a, so you have a prayer that covers that moment, that instance in the book. So I'd love to, I'd love for you to talk about that. I thought that was so cool. Oh, thank you. You know, that one, that one came out with, um, some reading I was doing in scripture where I kept noticing this question that Jesus, um, would ask people often. Um, he'd say, what do you want me to do for you? And I was really struck by that. Um, especially because, you know, you can answer or not. And oftentimes I think especially, you know, at a certain stage of your life or season of your life, or maybe even, you know, based on, on where you kind of have found yourself right now, not a lot of people are asking you, what do you want? And that invitation to collaboration with God really, really intrigued me. Um, because I think, I think even there was this sense of like, do you even know what you really want? And so I liked this idea of being able to like set aside some time in some silence to close your eyes, to invite very intentionally God to conversation. And then just to imagine, you know, God calling you by your name and then saying to you the same way that Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And taking a minute to actually answer that. And I think that 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 answer that will often rise up out of our, you know, our, our soul in that moment can surprise us. You know, sometimes it can be small things. Sometimes it can be a big thing, but I liked the idea of not knowing what you're going to answer until you get to the question. And so part of me wanted to make room for that when you don't even know really what you want, you can't articulate it. What would it look like to be asked that? Um, And so, yeah, that's a, that's a fun one, even that I practice often in my life, if I'm feeling very muddled and if I'm feeling very, um, just a bit out of sorts and like, I can't quite find the narrative there of, of, or part the weeds even to be able to mm-hmm. get to the clarity. That's a question from Jesus that I often find myself returning to in prayer. Just what do you want me to do for you? 
And I think there's a lot of invitation there. I like, I liked it. Hmm, that's, that's so good. Um, one of the other moments in the book that I thought was very poignant and uh, I think will hit home for a lot of people that listen to this podcast in particular is this one. Uh, it's really a poem called uh, For All the So-Called Lost by Reverend Emmy mm-hmm. Kegler. Uh, I feel like that one's going to resonate uh, a lot with people who are either on, you know, what we would call a spiritual deconstruction or on their own spiritual journey. Uh, that one, that, that was just a beautiful moment in the book. Um, maybe you could talk about that one a little bit. I underlined almost that entire poem, like the day it arrived in my inbox. <laughs> oh man, just, I can see Emmy why. Is, <laughs> Emmy means a lot to me personally, and it's just a wonderful leader. Um, she actually wrote a book on very similar themes um, called One Coin Found. Oh, wow. I think that's it, One Coin Found. And so if you have, I mean, if you ever wanted to have her on your podcast, you would absolutely love a conversation with yes. her because she is <laughs> such a pastor for the lost coins. And really, right now, (laughs) yeah, and speaks so beautifully and invitationally to people. What is it? I'm going to turn the page here. I'm going to find this line because I don't want to butcher it. And I'm going to do that if I do it from my memory. (laughs) She says, um, Jesus, in this congregation of the forgotten corner, I'm finding I am not alone. Like just that line, the congregation of the forgotten corner just undid me. Like, we're the church of the still lost in the lost and found. So when you come, bring a satchel ready to collect all that longs for home. And just this beautiful moment. I don't want to spoil it mm. because I want people to be able to experience it and read it themselves because the, the way that that poem ends is just so healing, so beautiful. But I think a lot of us have felt like what she called, you know, like the quarter clinking around the bottom of the divine washing machine. right? And just the way that she takes this parable and draws such a beautiful image of the woman who had 10 coins and lost one and sweeping the house diligently until she finds it and connecting that with Jesus and that forgotten congregation of the lost and found ones. Oh, I just, I don't know if I'll ever recover. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah, that one, that one hit me. That one hit me pretty hard too. I was reading it and I'm like, oh gosh, yeah, this. (laughs) You know, the other one right after that one um, is another one that a lot of um, your folks would probably really enjoy, which is the prayer for when we've lost our way again by Enuma Okoro, because that's another one about turning us to the road and being guided. Um, this idea, I think, of, you know, our longings and our journeys uh, to be able to see see God when you think you've lost your way, and it turns out you're on the way already. So, mm. yeah, that was a beautiful one, too. Ah, such a good reminder. So, as we, as we get to, towards the end here, um, you know, what, what is your hope uh, for, for people what, uh, to take away from this book when they read it? What, what, what do you hope uh, you can accomplish through this work? Oh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a good question <laughs> because I think that that's, it's a, it's a funny thing to say when you have a book about prayer, especially when it's a collaborative book. Um, it's not something that you go into necessarily with an agenda, you know, in the way that maybe, you know, other books of mine that I've written where I'm just like, no, I know pretty clearly what I want people to think by the end of this. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that my, my hope then was that people would re-engage with prayer, that they would find new ways to pray, new ways of understanding prayer, um, and that they would feel held by that uh, and invited to that. I think that there was something that I found really interesting about the people who were likely to pick up this book are not, you know, it's not a typical, you know, prayer book. You know, there's going to be things in there that are disruptive or as much as there are things that are healing and restorative. I think my biggest hope is that, you know, we would see it, not only see, begin to see prayer as part of our active resistance, right? Of how we are opening up ourselves and the world to God, of how we are building and participating and co-creating with God. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's my hope for it anyway. Um is that we would be stay open to the possibilities of prayer and maybe stay open to the possibilities of um, renewal, restoration, maybe even resurrection. 
um, there's this really beautiful line from Nadia. I want to turn over and find it if I can. Mm. Where she talked about blessing the things that we mistakenly think are already dead. And that, to me, really even summed up, I think, a lot of the hope of the book was that we may think we've already begun to carry these things out. And what does it look like to be blessed in the midst of that and reached out um, to by God and then raised up? I think that that's, that's an interesting thing to me anyway. Yeah. Oh. So um, when is the book out and where can people go to find it? Um, it comes out on February 9th, 2021, which feels like tomorrow, <laughs> even though it's not <laughs> it's for me anyway, yeah. at the moment that we're recording anyway. Right. Um, and it's available everywhere. Books are sold. It's at Target and Amazon and chapters here in Canada and, um, you know, independent local bookstores. You can even ask your library to order it in if you wanted to. Um, yeah, it's it's just pretty much all the all the usual usual places. And uh, if people are, um, there's a UK publisher as well. And so if people just go to sarahbessie.com and click on books, they'll find links to all those things and make it easy, hopefully. Perfect. And I'm, I'm assuming sarahbessie.com is also the best place to uh, keep, up, uh, keep up on everything that you're up to. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's definitely a good hub for if you want to learn about evolving faith or, you know, the newsletter I do, Field Notes, or find me on social media. I'm just Sarah Bessie in all the places, except TikTok. I'm too old for that crap. <laughs> I don't even understand it. <laughs> Somebody, some, one of my friends Gen, tried to give Gen me on Xers Snapchat. Don't, don't, Gen Xers don't get it, I don't think. I, maybe that's my problem. I, <laughs> I, 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 I realized it. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's great. It's like there were two moments this last week where I realized, oh, oh no, I think I'm officially a fully middle aged man now. Uh, I, yeah, I'm an old. <laughs> one of my friends, one of my friends, trying to get me to join Snapchat. I downloaded. I'm like, I don't get it. I, so I deleted it. And I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> and the other thing too that I find myself doing is now I'm that guy who's like, I don't like any of this music now. Like none of this is good. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think it's also the moment you're at the grocery store and you look at all the covers of the magazine and you're like, who are these people? Right, exactly. <laughs> all these twelve-year-olds. What are they doing? You know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, who is that? What is that person famous for? I've never heard of them. <laughs> yeah, I think we're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great. We'll go, I'll go yell at some kids to get off my lawn after we're done here. So that's oh, good. <laughs> gosh, I think I've already done that. <laughs> oh man. Well, thank you so much for coming back on. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, we should not wait five years again uh, to have you back on. <laughs> Deal. Uh, yes. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and we'll, everybody go out and get the book. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I got a chance to read it. And by the time this episode comes out, it will be out everywhere. Uh, so we are recording this in the past and you are now in the future. So go out and get it and, uh, and keep up on, uh, what Sarah's up to. Thanks again, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's all an act I can see through it. So can everybody else. If you want to be a better person Stop lying to yourself And be the man your father
Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.